Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. It was a Pyrrhic victory. Boris Johnson might have won on Monday night, but at what cost? Good evening. The vote in favour of having confidence in Boris Johnson's leader was 211 votes, and the vote against was 148 votes. And therefore, I can announce that the Parliamentary Party does have confidence. The Prime Minister's narrow victory may have won him a reprieve, but he's emerged wounded. His party is now even more deeply divided, and his political authority is bleeding out. Just two and a half years after Boris Johnson led his party to an 80-seat majority in a general election, 148 of his colleagues voted to dump him. Even one of his predecessors as Tory leader has spoken out. This isn't viable, actually, when more than 40% of your party vote against you. This is like trying to drive along the M1 with two flat tyres. You know, you can say you're at the steering wheel, but you're not going to get to the end of the motorway. It won't end well. Boris Johnson, meanwhile, addressed Cabinet yesterday, confident that he could buck history and wriggle free from this latest setback, just as he's done so often before. Thank you all very much. It's very good to, to, to see you all. And I, I think, thank you, by the way, for everybody for all your good work yesterday, because uh, which was a very important day, because uh, we we're able now to draw a line under the issues that our opponents mm-hmm. want to talk about, and we we're able to get on with talking about what I think the people in this country want us to talk about, which is what we are doing uh, to help them. Can he rebuild public trust and his authority over his party? Or is this the beginning of the end? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the wounded victor. What next for Boris Johnson? I'm Caroline Wheeler and I'm the political editor of the Sunday Times. Caroline, it's been an extraordinary few days in British politics. And before we get on to looking at what happens next and the wider issues for for Boris Johnson and for the Conservative Party, 
I think it's worth just spooling back to how we got here. When did you first become aware that there would be a vote of confidence this week? Well, it's been in the ether for some time now and it, there's been a gradual kind of drip, drip, drip of letters going in and I think we were all aware of that. I was actually off last week. It was half term, so I was away in France with my children and uh, I received a phone call on the Tuesday from somebody who was involved in the kind of rebel operation who indicated to me that they believed that they had now reached the threshold, that there were indeed, they said, 67 letters that they were aware of that had gone into the 1922 committee, which is the backbench group led by Sir Graham Brady. Then there were a number of other calls that I received in the coming days after that, basically saying the same thing from other people who had a kind of nexus in the operation against Boris Johnson. So I was fairly confident that there was going to be a vote. What was a little bit more of a surprise was just how quickly that took place. On Monday morning, Sir Graham Brady announced that there was going to be a vote of confidence having informed the Prime Minister the day before. As I say, my understanding was uh, that that threshold was actually reached in the middle of last week. And indeed, there had been discussions which basically were that they didn't want to trigger a vote uh, in the middle of the Queen's Jubilee celebrations oh. and that it wouldn't have been a good idea to interrupt it and to recall Parliament in order to do that. So I think a decision was made that they would delay it until that Monday and then it was in the Prime Minister's gift, really, that it was held as quickly as it was. Do we have a, a sense of when the Prime Minister was told? At what point in the Jubilee weekend did he suddenly realise that this was in the offing? So from what I gather, it was on Sunday afternoon. I think he was just about to uh, attend or was indeed in the middle of attending the sort of closing pageant. My understanding is that Sir Graham Brady called him personally to let him know that the threshold had been reached and that indeed there was going to be a vote of no confidence. And the Prime Minister had to put a brave face on it, as I understand it, for, for several hours before he was able to start discussing what was to come next with his closest aides and start making arrangements. There is normally a kind of system whereby MPs are brought to talk to the Prime Minister or the Prime Minister sends personal notes and there is a kind of behind-the-scenes operation, a sort of arm-twisting operation, if you like, to try and shore up support. And um, my understanding is that that began in earnest. Really, on the Monday morning, there wasn't much going on on the Sunday night. And that's something which has led to some criticism, actually, of the number 10 operation, that they weren't quick enough off the mark. And indeed, they weren't organised enough to see that this was going to be a very close-run thing, as it indeed turned out to be. And do we know, do we know what those whipping calls consisted of? Do we know what, what was being offered or what was being threatened? You never get a kind of clear picture. Obviously, MPs are generally very reluctant to talk about what whips are either offering or otherwise. I mean, my understanding is that there were a number of jobs offered to people. And, and as ever, the prospect of a reshuffle was kind of dangled in front of people's noses. And indeed, that noise is still there today. And that, that's fairly standard that the kind of offer of promotion is made mm. at a time of great peril for a prime minister. I mean, there are also some uh, conversations I understand that have taken place which suggest that those people that have or are believed to have been at the centre of the kind of rebel operation could be censured. I think that would be an extraordinary thing to do, but it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen that kind of behaviour. This is a little bit different because this is supposed to be a anonymous vote. Some people did come out and declare their position both before and after the vote. 
for example, Penny Mordaunt, who is a still a government minister, made some fairly pointed remarks in an op-ed for her local newspaper. So you can imagine that Number 10 will not be too pleased to see a government minister making those kinds of remarks. And Caroline, just talk us through the rebels and, and their strategy, because this doesn't seem to have been... A collective campaign in a way. It feels like there's sort of been a dribble of people from all over the party have been complaining. Because also the timing is interesting, isn't it? A lot of people would have thought if they were thinking strategically, they might have waited until after the by-elections that are coming before launching a vote of confidence. Yeah, that's right. I mean, th- there's never been a kind of sense that there was one individual or one group Uh, as we've seen in the past uh, around the kind of Brexit momentum that took place in Theresa May's government. And it wasn't just Partygate. I think that's the interesting thing is, if you look at the timing of this, given that the Sue Gray report came out Mm. just before Parliament rose, you could be forgiven for thinking that this is all Partygate. But actually, if you look at, for example, the letter that was submitted by Jesse Norman, it's very clear that the anger is much broader than that, that there are other issues that some MPs are particularly perturbed about. For example, some of the government's own policies on, for example, the the Northern Ireland Protocol, but also the offshoring policy that they are adopting in terms of deporting refugees who land on our shores from small boats to Rwanda. There's been a lot of anger around the government's fiscal policies. Also, lots of people suggesting that the party's not being conservative enough because it hasn't committed to a kind of low taxation agenda. Well, and Monday morning, the announcement comes. It's absolutely official. The The number has been reached to trigger a confidence vote. And it's coming by the end of the day. It's all moving very quickly at this point. And almost immediately, Jesse Norman, uh, who comes out as a rebel, who I don't think people had really suspected to be a rebel up until then, suddenly posts this very public letter, which sort of highlights some of those issues. You know, it's interesting that he didn't just point to Partygate, as you say, but Jesse Norman, former Treasury Minister, sets out a whole list of problems that he has with Boris Johnson's leadership. I think it was one of the most uh, astonishing of all the letters that have gone in in terms of its content. I mean, it was particularly brutal on a number of fronts, describing, for example, the Prime Minister's response to Partygate as grotesque, talking about that particular policy around Rwanda as being an ugly policy. Mm. It was extremely punchy and, as you say, not something that you would expect from somebody like Jesse Norman, who's not been uh, what we would consider one of the usual suspects. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it was clear at that point that the kind of the, the levels of anger within the party was beyond that, which perhaps even number 10 had comprehended. And it sort of began a whole kind of momentum of its own to allow a sort of bloodletting, really, for other people to come out and talk about other aspects of the government agenda that they were not happy about. And then on on the other side, you had sort of Boris Johnson loyalists taking to Twitter. Tell me a bit about that, in particular Nadine Doris. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, that there are again on that side, the kind of very core group of loyalists to Boris Johnson. As you say, Nadine Doris is one of them. And then you've got Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was also 
out in force yesterday and they were all pretty much peddling the same sort of message, which had clearly come from the centre of number 10. One was that if the Prime Minister won by even one vote, it would be a victory, which was repeated numerous times yesterday. And then other MPs were taking to Twitter to publicly declare their support for the Prime Minister. A lot of those MPs that did so were on the payroll. People that are ministers, junior ministers, PPSs, people that basically take a government salary. Mm. And there are a large number of those. There's in fact 170. Their salary, their, their enhanced income, as it were, is intertwined with the future of the Prime Minister because obviously there's no guarantees that yeah. um, if there's a new Prime Minister, they will be given the same status, the same role, the same government job. Which if you think about those numbers, that 211, that's 211 that voted in favour of having confidence in the Prime Minister, it does mean that a very large number of those were likelier to have been those who were on the payroll, which means that in essence, lots of people are suggesting that around two thirds of backbenchers have, have effectively declared no confidence in the Prime Minister, wow. which is which is an extraordinary number, an absolutely extraordinary number for any Prime Minister. And it's interesting to hear Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, and others talking about one vote being being enough for a victory, because that wasn't the line they took with Theresa May. No, and indeed I must have heard that clip a, a number of times yesterday. This is a very bad result for the Prime Minister. 117 votes against her, much worse than she thought. A third of the parliamentary... Theresa May's uh, result came in, which was demonstrably better than this particular result for the Prime Minister. And Jacob Rees-Mogg took to the airwaves and effectively said it was an absolutely terrible night for the Prime Minister. So the message today to Theresa May is that she has lost her moral and political authority... And yet when Boris Johnson, somebody who he has great faith in and seems to support, he declares it a kind of seismic victory. And of course, you know, he doesn't have the same issues in some ways that she faced, which was that Parliament uh, was completely blocked. It was completely stymied by the kind of trench warfare that took place between the two groups of MPs, one backing Remain, one backing Brexit, which effectively made governing impossible. That doesn't necessarily stop them from, if they want to see a change of leader, doing the same thing and effectively blocking legislation that he wants to see move forward as a way of trying to cajole him towards the door. We started to get a real sense of the divisions that exist in the party and the, the vitriol and the anger during the course of Monday. I mean, talk me through the Nadine Doris tweets in particular, because she, she really went on the attack in terms of Jeremy Hunt. Nadine is uh, very punchy when she wants to be and extremely loyal to the Prime Minister and is not immune from making some fairly personal attacks where she feels that the Prime Minister is under pressure and under threat. She basically attacked Jeremy Hunt for his time as Health Secretary, effectively saying that the preparation for a potential pandemic had been found to be inadequate and wanting. She also accused him of being duplicitous and effectively said that he was destabilising the party and the country to serve his own personal ambition. You said if you've been leader, you'd have handed the keys of number 10 to Corbyn. You've been wrong on almost everything. You're wrong again now. That's what you said uh, to Jeremy Hunt. Um, it, that, that, that's kind of exacerbating this civil war, isn't it? No, what, what's your response to that? Because Jeremy Hunt today has come out himself, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this, has come out yes. today himself and said okay. that he is time for change. I think what he means is it's time for him. 
Is there also that sense that you sometimes get with the Conservative Party when there is a shaky leader and people are, are lining up and there are factions that are emerging that they end up doing quite a lot of damage to the party brand itself in these public attacks? Absolutely, and I think that that's something that the number 10 operation has been at pains to kind of be stressing to MPs uh, during the course of the last sort of 24, 48 hours, which is that making remarks which are derisory against colleagues only hurts the brand and hurts the party. So during the course of Monday, the anger is really beginning to show. There are fierce supporters and people who are very much against Boris Johnson coming out and talking. By the time we get to the vote, how did things feel in Parliament and how, how did he win? Well, it was an extraordinary day. There was definitely a sense that this was going to be a lot closer than people were saying. I mean, at one point, it was being briefed that the Prime Minister was going to keep the number of people who were going to declare no confidence in him to under 100, and that that would be a good result for them. I mean, I'm not sure that that would be a good result for anybody, but Mm. under 100 was definitely the kind of benchmark that they had set themselves. And yet, speaking to a number of the leading rebels involved in trying to corral people to declare no confidence in the Prime Minister, they were pretty upbeat. They felt that it was likely that they were going to get 130 or more to vote no confidence in the Prime Minister. There was one prediction which I thought to be wildly off mark, that they thought it could be as close as a majority of 20 for the Prime Minister, which had that been the case, it would have wow. been you know, even more catastrophic. But if you'd have spoken to most seasoned Westminster watchers, if you take into account that payroll vote, those ministers that are in hock with the government, that are paid an additional mm. salary to serve the government and that that number is somewhere between about 160 and 180, it does make it an incredibly high bar for them to reach to actually get to the point where they defeat a prime minister. And I think to some extent, you know, there weren't really that many people, even those that were behind the kind of rebel whipping operation that actually thought that they were going to do enough to defeat him. Now, that's not to say that they don't think that this is now the beginning of the end. There is a kind of sense in Parliament that he suffered so many cuts along the way. You know, it is kind of death by a thousand cuts and his authority is draining by the day. Mm. There will come a moment where he will go. But that also fails to take into account the fact that Boris Johnson is a very different politician to many of those that we've seen come before him as Number 10 insiders have kind of indicated to us, and I say us as a kind of Sunday Times team, on those numerous occasions where the Prime Minister has looked to be increasingly in peril, there's always been a sense from those that they've said he will be dragged kicking and screaming from office. And of course, the only way of forcing him to leave office is what we've just seen, that vote of no confidence. At the moment, with the current rules, he now has a period of immunity from further challenges for another year, which would suggest that failing any extraordinary events, he will still be in office for at least another year, if not longer. It's likely that like John Major, who also faced a no-confidence vote and actually, again, did better than Boris Johnson, he will end up going to the country at the next general election and then it will be down to the electorate to see whether or not they give him another mandate. He's not the first Conservative leaders you've just pointed out to face a confidence vote a few moments ago mrs thatcher's government won an overwhelming vote of confidence in the commons 
but almost always in the past it has looked like it's the beginning of the end. But for the Prime Minister of the last 11 years, it was a Pyrrhic victory. John Major, Prime Minister since he won the leadership in 1990, versus John Redwood. Hold on a second, That's I think we have the vote true. coming through. For John Major, 218. For John Redwood, 89. I declare John Major elected. So, John Major wins the election, but the question is at 66%, is he out of the grey area and into the clear blue water? In the last 40 years, every Conservative Prime Minister has faced a vote of no confidence, save for David Cameron, who went that morning after the Brexit referendum result, went against him and against the government's wish to remain. But you're right, it never really ends well for leaders that face those votes of no confidence. It didn't for Margaret Thatcher back in 1990, who did better than Boris Johnson by one vote and survived for a few uh, more days. And that was just days. And then you had John Manger in 1995, who, again, his vote of no confidence, but then went on to lose the general election two years after that. And, of course, we saw Theresa May. Sir Graham Brady has confirmed that he has received 48 letters from Conservative MPs, so there will now be a vote of confidence in my leadership of the Conservative Party. Uh, in favour of uh, having confidence in Theresa May was 200, and against was 117. She managed to win her vote of no confidence, but then ended up standing down six months later. So there aren't a great number of historical examples that we can point to that suggest this will end particularly well for Boris Johnson. But then this is a politician who has seemingly been Teflon. And at the moment, it looks like he's digging in and will be there for some time to come. Coming up, Boris Johnson may have won the vote but has it triggered an even deeper identity crisis for the Conservative Party? That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm James Marriott, a columnist, book reviewer and podcast reviewer for The Times. It's my job to explain and contextualise our turbulent social and cultural landscape in a way that is as interesting, informative and as original as possible. I can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. So, Caroline, Boris Johnson has won this confidence vote. He continues as leader. He says it's a decisive victory. In terms of his ability to govern and the way he'll go about doing it from now on, what do you think this will mean? Well, I don't think it's going to be particularly easy. I mean, once you have a situation where you've lost the confidence of a great number of your backbench MPs, and indeed so many of them have said publicly that they want you to go, it gives confidence, I suppose, to those rebels that they are now out in the open, the whips know who they are. However, having seen the way in which Boris Johnson has dealt with you know, many of those crises that have hit the government in recent months, there's a sort of determination to distract really from the internal wranglings in the party. So I imagine that he will make a number of announcements. Indeed, I think we're aware of a number of those already. There's going to be a speech on the economy that he's making with the Chancellor next week. There's supposedly an announcement going to be made on the NHS. And indeed, he still has the threat uh, of a reshuffle to hold over the heads of his MPs like a sort of sword of Damocles. Mm. Do we think that's coming soon? Well, there's certainly rumour that it is. I wouldn't be surprised if he did respond in that way because it is another sort of distraction technique. However, they will also be painfully aware in number 10 that a reshuffle very rarely engenders more support for you. People become much more disgruntled when they're left out of the new jobs, then you end up with a rump of people who've held jobs on the back benches who are more likely to cause you trouble. But it is a good tactic to hold over people's heads, to try and engender loyalty. I think if I were in his position, I would continue to to threaten to do it for several weeks to come in a bid to shore up support and make sure that I made it through to the summer recess, which isn't that far away now. And what about the rebels? I mean, will that vote and the numbers that they got, will that have given them strength and momentum? Or do you think they'll retreat for a bit now? You know, we've already had Tobias Elwood, for example, saying he'll give the prime minister another chance. But, you know, obviously, patience is wearing thin. I think it will embolden some and others will accept the result. I think that there will be people that will be drawing up plans for sort of trench warfare to go on to try and force the prime minister out. At the same time, I think... There are other more sanguine people within the party who will see the damage that this kind of episode inflicts on the party and that it doesn't do the prospects in a general election any good. And of course, there's been numerous MRP polls, which are these seat by seat polls, which really kicked off over the Christmas period, which uh, the Sunday Times had uh, a poll which effectively showed that Boris Johnson would lose his majority and indeed a good tranche of the Red Wall. And those MRP poll results have continued to get worse. So there will be people that will keep going one last heave. 
And how would that happen now? Because some people will think that Boris Johnson has, is in some ways in a stronger position now than he was last week because having won a vote of confidence, he can't face another one for a year. How might that be overturned? Well, there's already discussion about changing the rules. It's one of those things, if you don't get the result you want, then you change the rules to make <laughs> sure that trying. you do. And you keep trying. Is there the ability in the rules, though, to allow another vote of confidence? Yes, there is. And uh, if you actually remember what happened leading up to Theresa May's departure, that was indeed the very threat that was made at the time to her that they would try and change the rules so that they could force another vote of no confidence. They wanted to change it, I believe, to six months. There's nothing in my understanding that would change them from making it a kind of open process so you could trigger one at any at any time. So yes, I think that there will be, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there are active discussions already about doing just that. And one of the reasons people thought Boris Johnson won this vote was because there wasn't a clear candidate to take over after him. But we have seen people sort of lining up to throw their hat in the ring almost. I mean, talk me through a few of the runners and riders because it doesn't seem like this has gone away completely. I mean, I think it's quite interesting that people are saying that there was no obvious alternative to take over. If you spoke to some of those who were part of the rebel camp, Many of them were very clear that they wanted Jeremy Hunt and I had many conversations with them about the fact that they believed that he was the right man to take on the party. But he's not alone. There are other MPs, indeed ministers, who privately appear to have declared an interest, although not publicly, in taking over. The one I was thinking of was Penny Mordaunt, who people are talking about more and more enthusiastically. Just remember that Penny Mordaunt, as opposed to Jeremy Hunt, was a Brexiteer. She was Mm. a big advocate of Brexit. She has been doing quite a lot to raise her public profile and I believe has been holding dinners with donors, which is usually a good kind of litmus test of whether somebody's thinking about throwing their hat into the ring. And of course, Nadeem Zahawi, the education secretary, is another. Then, you know, you have people like Tom Tugendhat, who's the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. And, and it that's quite something. Surprise. He's not even a junior minister yet. He's not even a junior minister. But And actually, that's another interesting point. I mean, if you speak to some of the rebels, one of the things that they're clear about post-Partygate is that they don't want a leader that has been embroiled, as they would say, in the Partygate fiasco. So actually there is, unlike in previous leadership contests, there is more momentum around some of those individuals that perhaps haven't got the ministerial experience. So Tom Tugendhat, who's not a junior minister, Jeremy Hunt, who's no longer in cabinet and hasn't been under Boris Johnson, and Penny Mordaunt, who is a trade minister but isn't really seen as part of the inner circle. What about no, what right. about the cabinet contenders who we, we'd heard about up until the last few weeks? So Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, even Ben Wallace, the defence secretary. What are their chances? Well, I think the one that we were all talking about for many, many months, indeed years, was of course the chance that Rishi Sunak. And what's really interesting now is that he isn't being talked about as a contender at all. Mm. I mean, it was an astonishing story that came out regarding the tax status of his wife and his own green card, which effectively gives him a particular tax advantage in terms of his American status. That really did effectively end any speculation about him becoming 
the next Prime Minister or the next leader of the Conservative Party. It was a very effective hit job, which many people suspect came from within Number 10 itself to see him off at a time of great peril for the Prime Minister. I think they think that his own wealth counts against him. And yes, you're right. We have been talking about Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, for a long time, and I still think it's extremely likely that she would throw her hat into the ring. I don't think she's been particularly subtle, but... One of the most photographed women in modern Britain. Absolutely, and (laughs) all of those Margaret Thatcher-style poses that she's posted on Instagram have certainly caught a lot of people's eye. But I think there is some concern as to whether or not she would have a broad enough support base mm. to actually propel her into that role. She she is a little bit like Marmite. And yes, you're right, there are people like Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, who has had a very good war in some senses. He's been seen to be a very competent, safe pair of hands when it came to the situation in Ukraine and certainly developed more of a profile. If you ask him directly and he is being more subtle, shall we say, if he does have any desires in that direction, he would tell you that he's only interested in the job that he's doing. But then who knows? I mean, I think there are all sorts of people that could potentially throw their hat into the ring. You know, why was Sajid Javid so quick off the mark after Rishi Sunak, the story about his non-DOM status? Why did Sajid Javid, the health secretary, feel that he needed to unburden himself of his own uh, Mm. previous non-DOM status? But I think those are probably the most likely individuals that might throw their hat into the ring should a vacancy arise. And of course, at the moment, there isn't one. And Caroline, just looking at the range of those candidates, you know, from people like Jeremy Hunt, who was a Remainer, to Penny Mordaunt, who people are coalescing around because she was a Brexiteer. Is there a sense that this is essentially a party now with a bit of an identity crisis? (laughs) I don't know if we've had a time in recent history where it hasn't been a party with an identity crisis. (sighs) I mean, there was a clear schism over Brexit, and that was apparent for all to see. There have been numerous other schisms within the party, and of course there are preoccupations in the party in different wings which naturally conflict. So, for example, you know, the One Nation group are particularly uncomfortable with the policy that's being pursued over Rwanda. There Mm. are genuinely people, even in the Cabinet, who are very disturbed by the party's fiscal policy and think that raising taxes is a very unconservative thing to do. That kind of speaks to the character of the Prime Minister we have himself. He's not somebody that you could pin a particular set of principles to in the way that perhaps we could some of the previous leaders of the Conservative Party. And so that also shows that he doesn't really know the enemy that he faces because it comes from so many different wings and so many different quarters. And that both makes it much more dangerous for him in one sense, but also safer in others because the fire isn't all coming from one direction. Mm. But yes, in terms of your question about whether or not this party does face an identity crisis, I think the answer is yes, because one of the questions that they keep returning to over and over again is what it is to be conservative. And I think a lot of that needs to be answered by a sort of consistent fiscal policy, which is very difficult to deliver at the moment post-pandemic and in the midst of a cost of living crisis. It's going to be very difficult for them not to just veer from one thing to the other. Dominic Cummings, his former chief advisor, refers to the Prime Minister as a shopping trolley in sense that he doesn't have a direction. Mm. That may be very offensive in one sense, but it's not not also untrue. Caroline, given that for the Prime Minister, 
he seems to be facing fire from all directions. If you were a betting woman, do, do you think there'll be another a, a leadership challenge, another confidence vote before the end of the year? No. I think it would be a very bad look for the party. And I think there are enough sensible heads to think, just as we were saying, the idea of changing the rules because you don't like the result is going to reflect well on the party. So I wouldn't necessarily expect that a rule change would happen anytime soon and certainly not before the end of the year, even if things get even worse for the Prime Minister. They've already been talking about the potential for an early general election because I guess they fear that the cost of living crisis could become even worse in the coming months and years. And he will try and get through to the summer recess at the end of July and then if he does that he'll make it to conference and he'll try and shore up support again and if he manages to do that the general election will not be that far away and I think the message from the party at that point will be that it's too late to change leader. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Sunday Times political editor, Caroline Wheeler. You can find all of Caroline's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print on Sundays. The producers today were James Shield, Taryn Siegel and Katie Tarrant. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a review. It helps new listeners to find us. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.